Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. We got up early this morning, perfect blue skies, frost on the car, snow on the tops, and we've driven south along the M6, past T-Bay, into the shadow of the Howgills. And I'm with author, illustrator, and our guide for today's wonder, Mark Richards. What a great place to be, Mark. Oh, I love this area. The number of people who come through the Loon Gorge and are uplifted. And if you get into these fells and you see the magic of the place, it's just spellbinding. I think you're right to mention that feeling that people get when they pass through the Loon Gorge. For those of us who love the lakes and are off-comers here, that's often the first sight you get of proper hill country, isn't it? Always used to bring a smile to my face when I was making this trip on a a Friday night for a weekend away. And actually there's a clue in the location here about today's podcast because through the years you've seen various animals on those fells. There's uh, even a connection to elephants, I think. But (laughs) give us an introduction, Mark, to what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, anybody who drives through the valley... They might catch a glimpse of sheep, usually rough fell sheep, with a distinctive, uh, like a Roman nose with a big white patch on the nose. But more significant are the occasional glimpses one gets of black ponies. Invariably on the slopes of fell head, if you're looking across to the east, going up the valley. But on the other side, on the west side, you also see groups of these fell ponies and to the north, I remember seeing there's a, a little cluster up near the T-Bay Services. People know of the heart plantation. They know about these so-called elephants that Wainwright described these fells. These wonderful, silky fells either side, which are quite eye-catching. But these fell ponies, they are quite magical to see. So the fell pony, an important part of the heritage of working animals in Cumbria played all kinds of key roles in the history of particularly farming but also mining and there's a very small group of people with a passion for this breed who have done a huge amount of work to keep it going through the years and today we're visiting one of those who has a fascinating life story and a very deep love for the breed who are we with today mark we're with Libby Robinson at uh, Townfoot Farm in Ramthwaite. I'm really looking forward to today. Right, well, I can see uh, Libby over there in the farmyard. Let's go and talk to her and find out a bit about how she ended up here and her love for the fell pony. Well, I'm in the farmyard at Townfoot Farm in Ranthwaite. It's a gorgeous spot. There's rooks gathering on the open branches above. But I'm with Libby, and it's lovely to meet you, Libby. Lovely to meet you, Mark. I'd love to know a little bit about where you live, who you are, just as a brief introduction for the listeners. Very, very briefly then. Born in Ireland, father had a dairy farm. He moved there 
out of the army like a lot of the army officers did at the end of the Second World War, bought a farm, idyllic, quiet uh, place to, to be. Unfortunately, his health did not come up to his expectations. So when I was about four, we moved back to England. We went to Cumbria, to Westmoreland to live. We lived in different locations. We lived at Burnyside. We lived down near Bowness. We lived uh, in Kentmere, which is the place that I really got attached to. So I suppose at about the age of eight, I decided that I was definitely going to breed fell ponies one day. Youngsters pick up who they're going to be from a very early age. And you clearly did. I think I was probably an old head on a young person in lots of ways, being attached to the countryside. I've always felt that uh, we need to look after it. We're just custodians to it. Um, I had a very wonderful, free upbringing and being able to uh, spend my weekends running free in Kentmere, right up onto the copper mines, enjoying the fact that I was part of nature. Well, we're going to talk a great deal more about your early days and what drove you on. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what we're going to do today? Today, we've got the ATV and we will take you right up onto Ramthwaite Common. We are one of the graziers up there and we graze uh, our fell pony herd and we'll go and find them and mm-hmm. I'll introduce them to you and uh, you can enjoy seeing them understanding them and going into their environment most important absolutely uh, listeners this is going to be the very first time that country stride will be minimally striding riding this is outrageous well i'm looking forward to the rough journey that it inevitably will be because i have walked up there many times so this would be a novelty Good. Gosh, well, I'm not uh, somebody who's into joy riding and certainly thrill riding. That's what that was coming up in this vehicle uh, with this breeze and this amazing view. This is what you might call the Lakeland that never was before, but it merges so wonderfully with great symmetry with the Howgills. So this is east of the A6, the fells of Westland Borrowdale. We're up on the fells now, uh, on the slopes leading towards Winterskew. One can look across to the south. You can see Mabbing Crag, uh, Ashstead Fell, Castle Crag uh, and Windfell Beacon. On the north side, we're in great pasture land. Wonderful place, Libby, for fell ponies. Low Borrowdale and High Borrowdale above, it runs exactly east to west so sun comes up there sun goes down there we're very lucky to have grazing on the fell side here which is facing south so it's a really good spot for the ponies sun trap yes yep well we're hunting for the fell pony today we haven't quite seen them yet they are liberally spread over this uh, undulating landscape I'm intrigued by their sort of their origins in, in this sort of landscape. They're not a new breed. They are something that's been here for hundreds of years. There are 12 
types of native breeds of ponies in the British Isles. The fell pony is, this is their region. This is where from time immemorial they have been associated with this landscape. When human habitation came in, so we'll, oh dear, we'll have to go back to the Bronze Age. Uh, an indigenous type of breed is seen as able to cope with the environment, able to cope with the weather. Uh, so they became domesticated with the early farmers. And the farmers themselves saw a great harmony of use for them. Yes. And this being a very rugged, wild region, the ponies became a tool to all the economics. Yeah. The ruggedness of it meant that the ponies could surf and navigate the region. When you became, say, into the Middle Ages, yep. uh, the biggest economic product was wool. The ponies became the pack pony. The pack pony, it's really quite a lost area in history this little is known about the pac-man and the drover's roads we go back to tudor times of the the great wealth of Furness abbey mm -hmm. there was the uh, growth of agricultural systems the building of the stone walls the ponies became the transport they carried so many different merchandises so there would have been wool lead copper, zinc, they would have carried even the slate at the slate mines. They would have been the link between each transportation depot. They would have travelled in groups of 20 ponies, all loose-headed. The front pony would have had a bell on it. Right. Um, and the drover, single-man drover, would, they would travel up to 20 miles per day. Staggering, isn't it? and they would be carrying 16 stone of weight in these panniers. The panniers, eight stone each side, and this merchandise was incredibly important to the whole of this region. They went to the East Coasts, they went to Southampton. There's a, a lovely story about the cottage industries here, because mm -hmm. based on wool and weaving, there was quite an industry in woolen socks for sailors. It is said that there was a million socks a year left here to go down south. Right. And that was part of the trade. Imagine these trains of horses. Yes. In groups of 20, what we now see as the M6 carrying lorries was once upon a time all about these mule trails, or yeah. what would you describe them? Well, they were pack horse trains. The bridges, obviously, this merchandise was uh, valuable. They couldn't just ford through rivers and streams, so the pack horse bridges were built, but really they should have been pack pony yes. bridges, not pack horse bridges, because it was the ponies that carried. Yeah. You, you see, the fell pony has the body of a horse and it's on short legs. Yeah. That's the idea. That is the proper working animal, the low. point of draft, and the weight carrying is low to the ground. Low centre of gravity. Yes. They had a very active walk. They had an incredible trot. If you watch ponies moving on this kind of rough terrain, the trot is how they move. Mm. They will pick all their feet up and they will go over like a race car, low to the ground. If you put a thoroughbred up here that was galloping, it would fall over. And you see the size of a man. Size of a man 
is, well, say five foot six. Yep. And so your pony height is about here. Just below that. Just below that. Ideal to load heavy weights into the panniers. Yes. Can you see people trying to load heavy weights onto the back of a big horse? No, so it's all proportionate to the yes. human scale. Yes. The pony itself was bred to be like that, or was it historically like that? Historically the same. The Vikings would have seen the same kind of pony that we see today. The basic native breed was made by nature, created by its environment. Uh, also its temperament. It's got a very, very nice, kind temperament. It likes to please, but it's also clever. It likes to have a varying of jobs to do. The fell pony, traditional indigenous colour, would have been brown. Brown because it fades into the landscape. Within our influence in how the pony has developed in colours, you've probably got the brown and the bay. Bay brown is like the colour of, of the winter bracken. But also our influences. I mentioned Furness Abbey. When Furness Abbey was dissolved by Henry VIII, because he took over the church, the monks rode white horses. These horses, when the monastery was dissolved a lot of them were just ran out of the abbey and onto the fells and so mingled with the uh, indigenous ponies and that is where you get grey in the breed and grey is quite rare but it is there so it would have been introduced it would have been introduced by these riding horses which wouldn't have been very big about the same size as probably a 14-2 riding pony at the moment in the time of droving, were the ponies up on the fell or did they graze closer to the farmsteads? Common rites and stints came in at the Magna Carta, so the 13th century, and was sorted out that everything that was above ground, wood, grass, all the vegetation, could be used by the local farmers that had access through the fell wall onto the common so they used it for grazing purposes for their farm stock this is why fell farms are smallish in acreage because all they had to do was to grow fodder really for winter feeding for their stock but their actual headage of animals could be up on the fell a lot of them would have had small groups of ponies the ponies would have lived up on the fell probably permanently from being foaled and then grown up. They would be brought down to the farm as a surplus stock, which would be sold to the drovermen. Mm -hmm. When we get to about the 1850s, there is written in Kendall Library, 300 per day pack ponies left Kendall wow. to all the different areas. So there was a lot of ponies that would have been a very good income for the local farmers. And remember, that's as far as the canal got. Yes. And uh, remember that before we had the, um, the narrow boat steam or diesel engine, you had the butty boats that the ponies pulled. Yes. So they had a purpose in, into the canal age, yes. definitely. Yes. And in terms of, uh, we talked about pack ponies, but did they have a particular purpose in terms of farming? A lot of farmers worked their ponies for shepherding. They would ride them across the fell to gather their sheep. 
Also, uh, they collected bracken for winter bedding. So the ponies would come up here with sledges. You didn't have wheeled carts, they had sledges. Because, of course, that was far easier to look after on slopes. Up on the top of the, the allotments, they would have ponies that would come up with sledges and they'd probably mow a bit of hay. Mm-hmm. We had better climate for, for haymaking then. Uh, they would have carried utensils for ditching and uh, for looking after the river systems. They would have carried fencing materials. They would have taken the farmer and his wife and perhaps some goods from the farm, like eggs, to market. They would have then taken the family to church on a Sunday. Um, if you look at old photographs, you'll see, like in, in Penrith on market day, all the carts in the street all put up onto their sides so the shafts are up into the air all neatly parked like the modern day car parking all the ponies would have been taken out they would have gone to stables and places where they would have sheltered for the day while their owners did their business in the towns then they would be hitched up again and go back out into the farm again down the lanes and into the into the fells that's a wonderful introduction to the whole notion of the purpose and the, and the actual characteristics of the breed. Uh, what we haven't done, despite everything, and we are in a wonderful setting, we haven't found them yet, so let's go and hunt, see if we can sneak up on them. Okay. Gosh, this wind is something. We haven't quite got to the ponies, but boy, despite the wind, the view is stunning, and I'm looking northeast towards cross fell which is covered in snow so the Pennines have got their snow everything else is the barren winter scene that you'd expect in early March now what I'd like to do just at the moment before we get to these ponies Libby is to rewind back what drew you into the magic of ponies from your earliest age uh, well, we'll have to go back a little bit further. Let's go to Ireland again, where I was born. One thing that uh, impressed me really, really strongly at a very early age, so three or four, goodness, was that the farmhouse was a Georgian house. It had this lovely big window that you could look out onto the farmyard. And I remember at that age standing there and watching father had milked the cows this is the late 60s. There was still horse-drawn, the horse-drawn flat cart with a man from the village who would come up and collect the milk churns that were standing ready for him to collect. There'd be two blokes, they'd come in and they'd get off the flat cart, they'd put the reins that they had been controlling their horse with up onto the collar and they'd go to the corner and they'd have a cigarette <laughs> together in the corner. A woodbine. The horse would take itself round the yard, actually back the flat cart up to where the milk churns were and it would do it by itself. And that stuck, absolutely stuck in my head as being such a wonderful thing to be able to do and to teach yourself how to do it, how to actually have a partnership with a horse or pony. Uh, And then when we moved to Cumbria and the Lake District and uh, I was uh, introduced to the fell pony in Kentmere, it was a pony that was in a field and I went to the owner's house and I said, could I ride your pony? (laughs) I was eight 
gosh. And uh, she said, oh, yes, OK, you can ride him round the field. Gave me a bridle. So I managed to climb on his back. <laughs> I remember he kept putting his head down to graze. Oh, and do. I would slide down his mane <laughs> and I'd get down to his ears and then he would put his head up because I was uncomfortable. He'd put his head up and I'd be able to clamber back and sit on his back. I always remember that. And uh, that was the start of me loving the felt pony. So this love, can you express it in any other way? They're a partner. I can realise how you with your human intellect can train them because of their intellect to become your working partner and that's what fascinates me. Kentbio took over uh, as a place that really mattered to you in your younger life. Can you give us a little bit of a flavour of the, the people and the environment that you understood there? Kentmere, uh, we were all uh, with no electricity, no televisions, we all had our own generators, always lovely. As the sun went down in the valley and it became dark in the bottom, you could tell, oh, so-and-so's turned on their generator, you know, so-and-so's turned on their generator. And so it was the, the, the pattern of the sun going down and the dark coming and, and everyone getting ready for their, for their evening in the farmhouse. So at the time, there was a diatomite factory at oh, the bottom yes. of the valley which they were digging up this special powder, which was obviously fossils at a certain time. There was Kentmere Hall at the top. There was the old copper mines right at the top. There was the tarn. There was the Drover's Roads up through. Nambield. Yes, and, and you could see one very interesting point is that with the ponies, if they're coming down a steep slope, naturally, they will always zigzag. They will never go straight down, that's dangerous balance. They will always zigzag down so that they're back on their hocks and they've got complete balance. So you can see that the drover's road, if they were going up a steep bank, they would do what the ponies instinctively would do. Right. At the top of the dam build, on the Kentmere side, is an immense series of hairpins. Yes. Yeah, so that would have been what the ponies did. So they made the track the same. Right. Uh, what else? Oh, little minnows coming out through the tap from our water supply. Something <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> fishy going on there. That's right, yes. Um, hunting for sticklebacks under the bank in the beck. The wonderful um, tobogganing, because that field that's opposite the bridge yes. in Kentmere, there's a field that has a lovely bank, and it's just wonderful, because you go down the slope, and then you've got a nice piece that you can trail off your speed and stop at the bottom. <laughs> Eating raw potatoes. It was Heather, who was uh, the same age as me, lived at the uh, farm at the top. Do you know the big stone in Kentmere? That's yes, Brockstone. Yes. We used to sit on top of that <laughs> and scrape up potatoes and eat them raw. Oh, dear, the things what? we did. <laughs> <laughs> How fabulous. Bad time we took the breeze on our shoulders and contoured round the slope. Corner, yes. Yeah, come round the corner and see if we can find these hefted yes. ponies. Yes, yes, they're hefted like the Herdwick sheep would have been hefted. They would have learnt an area, they would have lived on that area, brought up their foals on that area, and again, they would learn how to live in that area. Right, well, head for them. Well, we've come over the brow and on what is in effect the south-facing slope 
we've come upon your herd. Yep. How marvellous. And the view elsewhere, looking into the valley, west, Borrowdale, running away. And you see the snow up on um, Kentmere Pike. We're now looking towards the Howgills, but the herd, there's about, let's see, a dozen ponies here or so? I must be, yes. It's a mixed bunch. There are another two graziers up here that have rights for grazing ponies, and those will be his. Ah, right. Uh, and these are ours. But oh, I right. see that they have got themselves quite nicely in a little hollow where they're enjoying the sunshine after a frosty night. Do you just come up here once or twice a week? Probably three times a week we come up to check the ponies, cast an eye over them really, just to make sure they're grazing happily, yes. that uh, they're not losing too much condition. I mean, the thing with March, March is the leanest time up on the fell for the ponies. Uh, a lot of the vegetation that they've been eating for the last few months is now depleted. They're still waiting for this spring to start and the growth. But in the summer, they will eat as much as possible. They will have a nice layer of back fat. That will then be their heating system and they will live off that during the winter. They should come out of the winter looking lean. Protection will then be fine for having the foal, having the spring grass having the sun on their backs um, and it's the way that the seasons just roll on and they're part of that. In the east side of the fells, it was a big pony breeding country. On the Howgills there would have been the Merthwaite ponies, uh, which are now no more. Sadly, Thomas Capstick died in 2015 and his herd was dispersed. Over on this side, we had the Loonsdale ponies that for many, many years had been up on the Roundsweight Common here. Then over to the fell on the, over the other side, going to the west, we had the Greenhome ponies. Breathedale. Yes. To the west of Kentmere Pike, you've got the Dry Burrows ponies that graze up on Bampton Common. Uh, down at Ascombe Gate, uh, you've got another group of ponies, Gascombe Gate ponies, but they're getting fewer and fewer. In the whole of Cumbria now, there's probably about less than 200 mares that are running extensively up on the fells that are of breeding age. How many groups of people are involved in the, in the breed's survival? There's, there's quite a strong breed society in fact, it's their centenary this year mm -hmm. of being founded. The Fell Pony Society was brought together as a proper breed society in 1922. Just after the First World War, yep. Yeah. Uh, it has looked after the breed. It has quite a few enthusiasts, but the breed is still very small in number. There's only about 6,500 Fell Ponies purebred fell ponies in the world. Crikey. The fact that they've lost their working purpose, that's the, that's the downside. Yes. It, we need to look for a future. 
the future basically, I think, comes a lot from the way we're changing our patterns of in farming, that we're including our environment. A lot of interest in conservation grazing work, uh, giving them the job of looking after the landscape, I think, would be a perfect thing that they could do. They could be used as a, a very important tool for grazing in small groups, say numbers four to five of those year spans. Remember that these ponies, they've reached their equilibrium here. All they're doing is giving back creating the dung that creates the soil, that keeps the soil up here, that creates the insects, that creates then the feeding for the birds. They create the sward of grass with their grazing that helps the ground nesting birds to nest and lay their eggs. Could you pick out some names? Can we walk down a bit? Yeah, we'll get down to them a little closer. Yeah. And a bit closer. As you can see, they're enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> um, oh, the breeze is gone. That's wonderful. Yes, they see. See how they knew the right place. Absolutely. Just it's, over the ridge. It's a silent, breathless hollow. Yes. This is Belle here, who's a four-year-old. Got a, a blaze on it's, its yes. forehead. She's the most friendliest, aren't you? We had to take her to the vet the other day. Uh, as you can imagine, sort of taking a pony off the fell and taking it down, putting it in a lorry, taking it to the vet because it's got a tooth problem, but oh, it's better now. Gosh. And what so, else have we got in our midst? So, <laughs> this is Green Home Dora. Oh, now, yeah. old Bill Potter, who's in his 80s now, uh, was having a bit of a reduction sale last year. And uh, Dora was born and brought up on the fell, and she's a really nice type of fell pony. Pretty, uh, lovely colour, lovely sort of nut brown colour. Isn't she just? Yes. I think she would have been a model if she'd been a human. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they must have nice silky hair. This is so that when it rains, the water just runs off their coats and runs off their neck. And they also, the, the different wolds that they have on their coats. Who have we got? We've got, oh, I'm going to get them all up. I'm sorry, girls. I'm sorry, girls. The different patterns, which are called wolds and where the hair goes on their coats. You can see with Dora that uh, she's got what they call a stifle wold. That's the stifle joint just below there's a hip bone, that's her flank, and then you come to the top of her hind leg, and just forward that is a lovely, what they call a feathered wold. It's where all the hair changes direction. Now, that when she has her foal, and she's yes. up here in the rain, because of the way that hair all goes, when the foal is suckling, the foal will not get wet head because all the rainwater will fall either side. Oh. Beautiful, sort of nature's engineering, really, and how they're constructed. As you can see when we were saying about the body of a horse on short legs. I'd love to know, Libby, which was your very first fell pony? My very first fell pony that I actually owned myself, I saved up for. My father did not believe in, in credit. I bought in 1979 and 
This was a pony called Admagil Ursula, stable name Peggy. It was because I'd started working with my then partner on a small holding that we'd bought together in Dorset. And I wanted a working pony that could do the work on the small holding. We had pigs, breeding pigs, and we were producing piglets to sell. And I wanted a pony that would help me muck out the pigsties, um, also help me with uh, making an acre of garden, and also going to the feed mill, which was about three miles away, to collect pig food and chicken food and general things. And also, I had the dream of taking my daughter to school by so, pony and trap. So it, this pony immediately had a multifunctional Absolutely. life <laughs> that was fundamental to you. It's wonderful. I contacted the then secretary of the Fell Pony Society because it had to be a Fell Pony. Oh. Even in Dorset, it had to be a Fell Pony. I luckily saw an advert in the Horse and Hound believe it or not, of a fell pony, four-year-old fell pony that was carting coal in Bradford. Well, I'm blown. I think the, the biggest thing about meeting Peggy was that uh, she was being kept in a shed next to the coal and she was black and everything about her was black. She had a black tongue because of coal <laughs> dust. She was pitching everywhere. <laughs> the thing that really sealed the deal was that when he put her back into her shed, her little shed, so that she could have her hay, she turned round and looked at me. <laughs> and winked. I thought, yeah, that's it. That's it. I'll have to buy this I'm pony. I'm your bond. Uh, you were sold on fell ponies. Peggy did it. Uh, did, what was the next pony on the horizon? Felt ponies are, are, you're never happy with one. <laughs> you start collecting them. You're a herder. Yes. <laughs> well, Peggy introduced me to carriage driving in the fact that I decided that I would like to be involved more with uh, teaching it. I really wanted to drive more than just one pony. I wanted to have the opportunity to drive a pair. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a passion that you... This is over a period of time. You can only build these passions slowly. But then I discovered that really, because the ponies were such a, an important part of my life, I wanted to be able to earn my living by them. Quite. So I, I was looking to buy another one. There was a friend who had Exmoor ponies. She was a breeder near Wimbledon Common. This was 1991. This friend said, you've got to go and see this pony. It's going to go to Southall Market. A lot of ponies go through there and they usually go for meat. It's an absolutely lovely fell pony. And I get the train, go into London, get on the tube, get the tube to Putney Bridge, Wandsworth, find where these ponies are. It's just an, an Edwardian street. And there's all these horses and ponies in this space. And there's 35 horses and ponies in what? there. Crammed in there? All crammed in there. And introduced to this fell pony by Matthew. Um, Matthew, young boy, he's 16. Now, Matthew had been earning a living pizza delivering with Precious. So, pizza delivering pony. But he didn't want to do it with a pony anymore. He wanted a motorbike. Oh. He wanted a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is that uh, 
precious, she'd gone to London as a two-year-old and had been broken in and trained as a driving pony. She hadn't been in a field since then. She had lived in London. It took three people to harness her up and put her into the vehicle because she was uncomfortable. As soon as I got, and I was watching this, as soon as I got in the vehicle with Matthew, she just pulled herself together. And she just was amazing. We went out through the door, we drove down the street, we went over Putney Bridge, we went round Hyde Park Corner, all those (laughs) lanes of traffic, and she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew which side of the road in the lanes she had to stand so that she didn't have any exhaust fumes going up her nose. She knew the traffic light sequences. She knew how to get ready when it got to amber, right we go. And she just, it's brilliant, just a brilliant pony. But uh, when I took her back and put her in a field at home, And uh, I just watched her at the corner of my eye. She stood in the middle of the field. And 20 minutes later, she was still standing in the middle of the field. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do with space. No. She'd forgotten how to roll. She had to re-acclimatise herself to living in a field. I love the howgills. I got a marvellous view across Oldale Fell to Fellhead. You can see the top of either Langdale Fell and Randagill Top and the Calf and uh, Arant Hall. And nearby, across to the south of where we're standing, we're looking at Greyrig Forest and the masts leading round to Windfell Beacon. Oh, magic. And lower down the valley, we've got Borrowdale Wood itself down towards the motorway bridge, you can see. And you can see... Uh, Carling Gill leading into the, right into the heart of the fells. Uh, anyway, let's get my brain back up to the ponies. Your great, uh, great ambition was that you wanted a herd. Uh, yes, to, to breed, to uh, understand how to breed them, mm-hmm. what, what they needed, what uh, your aspirations were in having learnt about what a fell pony is. And also, of course, a pony needs to be a part of a community of ponies. Yes, yes. They're a very strong bond with families, certainly with each other, Mm. uh, and they help one another. And I really, yes, I really would like to have uh, got more and more involved with with the breeding because of uh, the preservation of, of the breed. Couldn't afford to buy anything up in this part of the world, even though this is where my heart is. Uh, So in the end, we decided the only way to buy uh, a decent amount of land was to go to France, which we did in 1999. Wow. Took four ponies out there. Of course, France is wonderful, but fell ponies is not their native heft. So... What was the spur to bring you back? France is a wonderful place. It's got lots of space, wonderful weather, good food, wonderful (laughs) wine. Conviviality. But there was things looming. By the time we got to 2016, Brexit was going to undo all the work that we'd done on 
looking at how we could promote and bring a registered native breed of pony to France. Uh, they've still got to sort that legislation out. Uh, so there was that looming. Also, uh, I could see that there was problems at home. I felt that the fell pony breed needed more support here in the Lake District and Cumbria. So by the time it got to 2017, we were thinking we'll need to come home, but we can't, we're not going to come home without the ponies. <laughs> and we had 13 at the time. And it was a really difficult thing to do to find somewhere for them to come so it was going to be their natural habitat it had to be in by land that had grazing rights for ponies it must have been a logistical challenge so can you describe that to me well we we managed to rent a huge racehorse pantechnican lorry it would have been for 18 racehorses but remember i had five carriages uh, so five carriages and 11 ponies came back in that. I got a few friends together so that uh, when we came, the lorry could only obviously park at the Borrowdale car park. And so we had to bring all the ponies one by one up through the valley, up along that track and up to our gate and put them into the into the field so it was quite a, uh, a quite an emotional day but we got there didn't we we did and there was a couple of people who were saying ah oh, they're home they're home and it is it was a feeling of coming home what was your actual feeling about being back here particularly because you you love Kentmere <sighs> it's a kind of a sense of relief of being able to start a project like like we started and to see that it's in a way even though it was in France it's kind of got a, a connection here bringing back that connection uh, with the ponies how they fit into their landscape and being able to see it as a reality uh, now and something that can grow forward We'll go a little bit further, but I want to ask you some really teasing questions. <laughs> Cloud is building up a bit at the moment because it was very clear when we started, but this is still winter, so the weather keeps changing. Uh, I'm loving the views. I'm looking up towards Kentmere Pike and uh, Heart of Fell. I've come to that magical moment where I love... Quick fire questions. What is your first Lakeland memory? First Lakeland memory is the sound of the running becks oh. and looking for otters under the bridge. Have you a favourite fell? I do have a love of skidder, skidor fell. Because the summer of 1984, I took Precious in a two-wheeled carriage two dogs, a tent and a sleeping bag, and I travelled from Colbeck Fell down to Grasmere on a holiday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it sort of forms a backdrop to that memory. Herdwick or Red Squirrel? Herdwick. Maybe here, Rough Fell, perhaps, even. Uh, yes, the Rough Fell. Wonderful, hardy sheep. 
Yes. Definitely. And then, of course, the other breed, which is what? The white-faced Westmoreland, the rare breed. Have you a favourite view? Has got to be the view from the church at Kentmere looking down the valley, because I remember that. Looking down the valley, gorgeous, down towards Kentmere and so on. Yes. Um, have you a particular favourite walk that you'd like to share with listeners? It'd have to be up through the Langdales. And it wouldn't be a walk, it would be a ride. <laughs> of course it would be. I, I spent a spring lambing sheep at Coniston and I used to take the pony up through Yew Tree Farm, go up through that track past the slate mines and out into um, the Langdales and ride it. Beautiful. What a thought. If you're on a long ride, uh, where do your thoughts wander? Oh, nature. Um, viewing nature, making sure my brain is working by remembering the names of wildflowers and butterflies and birds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favourite season of the year? Autumn. Autumn. Not yes. the back end, just the autumn. autumn. <laughs> the harvest of the seasons, really, nature. Mm. All the interesting things that happen in autumn. Because, of course, the farming year starts in autumn. It sort of ends and begins all together there. Yeah. Have you a favourite Cumbrian hero or heroine, dead or alive? Well, it's going to have to be Mrs Helis. It's going to have to be Beatrix Potter. She brought her um, an intellectual stimulus to the importance of the farming up here. And uh, all of our sort of history of the last 70-odd years is based on what she did and what she's done. If we looked a little bit more into what um, Mrs. Helis did with her farming, she apparently did breed fell ponies and used fell ponies on her farm. That is an un almost an unknown fact. If you were the Prime Minister for the day, oh, just for one day, what significant thing would you wish to do to safeguard the landscapes and heritage of Lakeland uh, and Cumbria? What a question to ask me. Um, there needs to be a huge, great rethink about how important our farming landscape is. It's not there just to uh, be a place where people come and have recreation. That is important, yes, but it's also a living breathing item which is giving back so much that we need like food fresh air good water just the most amazing places and they need to have so much more of a forefront uh, what would be your perfect lakeland day early autumn september lovely just when the colors start to change um and Taking, probably taking Felpony for a drive. There's a, a lovely track that goes up from um, Keswick up onto Skiddle that you're going up to the old bunkhouse. And uh, that's a perfect place to drive. A picnic at the top, then come back down again, and then, yes, then feel perfect, perfect sort of peace.
journey's end. We're back down in the valley bottom at the farm. And, Mark, a sense of relief uh, oh, from yes. that wind. God, I mean, God. so early March... But it was biting cold. That's almost as cold as I've been all winter up there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we had a frost early on in the day. We did. Uh, there was no frost up there, but boy, the wind chill factor was a factor. And what was amazing, and you did point it out uh, during the recording, the ponies had found a little place, and it was the sheltered place on the fell. Incredible. Yeah, they found the buyer, as it were, on the top of the hill. They were very much in harmony with humans and with its setting. They were so in harmony they started uh, trying to eat the recording. <laughs> yes, I tried to get a photograph while we were recording because they were so it was so funny. They were going all over your body and uh, the microphone, it was funny. It was, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, lo- lovely podcast, really nice mix of that kind of history and heritage, uh, some of which I knew, lots of it I didn't, you know how vital they were not only in trade but in that day-to-day life of the farm nothing would have happened without them yeah in fact until the industrial revolution yeah that's it that's the end what in effect were the the horses uh uh, they're part of that long tradition going back into the bronze age and beyond yeah where the trade and the industry and the economy of human life revolved around them and actually, as Libby was suggesting, they may very well play a very important role in the future. There's conversations being had, aren't there, about how they can be used. And it is important to flag up that some of Libby's ponies are grazing over Galbrofell um, on the farm there now. So can we find a part that these ponies can play rolling into the future now that connect with that heritage would be wonderful. Um, and we'll put a link in to the website so you can find out more about Libby's ponies here, but also the heritage uh, breeding up here. Um, we'll do our usual housekeeping. This is episode number... 77. For 76 previous episodes, www.countrystride.co.uk. We're on social media, Mark. At Countryside1 on Facebook and Twitter. We'll put up our map and a load of photos. And actually today, the photos of the ponies, lovely. Can't get better than looking at those. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so in three ways. Firstly, you can share this with your friends. If you've got a friend who loves Cumbria and the Lakes, let them know about this podcast. You can buy four publications now related to Country Stride, related to walking, related to the lakes. Uh, including our latest Oldswater Walking Companion 20 Fabulous Walks at www.countrystride.co.uk Finally, if you visit our website, you can gift as little as £2 a month via our Patreon website. And we're very grateful for those, aren't we, Mark? Today, Mm. I think it might pay for a hot cup of tea in tea bay services as we head north. (laughs) We look after the Dunnings there with our support of their wonderful venture. That's right. Um, I don't think we know quite what we're going to be doing next, but... um, Well, maybe we're on the railways. I don't know. Yes, Carlisle Settle, I think we wanted to talk about at some point. But from a very bright and breezy day in the east of the Lake District, we're saying goodbye for now, and we'll see you on the next Country Stride.